and as was already read in your hearing, um, chapter 32. And I just want to uh, have you to rest your eyes on verses 27 uh, through verse 29. Verse 27, he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name. And he said, None, he said why is it that you ask me about my name? And he blessed them. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you and we bless you for all that you have already said to our hearts through, it, through encounter worship. We thank you, O oh God, for how you just ministered to us. We thank you for the yielded vessels that were poured out and we were able to drink from the flow of the Holy Spirit as you filled us up. And God, we, we were able to see beyond the circumstances that we are surrounded by even now as Sister Dawn directed our attention to when we see Jesus, when we see Jesus. Now, Heavenly Father, take this time that we have. Minister to us as only you can. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Brother Tim didn't pray for me. My sinus is today, so I blame him. And it does help to take your Zyrtec. <laughs> Amen. Until it's him, it's still you. Turn to somebody and say, until it's him, it's still you. I uh, grew up as a fan of Jerry Lewis, and the original version of The Nutty Professor, you have to be a little older than 20 to appreciate uh, that type of humor. But there is a more modern version of The Nutty Professor that Eddie Murphy starred in, where he was a renowned, brilliant chemist named Sherman Klump. Amen? Yes. Now, even though he was a foremost scholar in his profession, he struggled with obesity. He had a, a weight problem. And so he developed a formula that enabled him or whoever would partake of it, to instantly lose weight. I'm still waiting for that pill. <laughs> and to transform personality, and most importantly, appearance. Professor Klump met a young lady that he wanted to impress. And so he decided to make himself an experimental guinea pig with his own medication, with his own formula. And it worked. It totally transformed him, but it altered not only his weight and his appearance, but most importantly, it impacted his personality because the person that appeared was his alter ego, Buddy Love. Loud, aggressive, unrestrained, no boundaries, confrontational, overly sexualized. And by the time Professor Clump really was aware of what this alter ego was like when it was in control, when 
he was in control, he understood that he had opened up a part of his life that potentially had the ability to be totally destructive of everything that he had worked for. So he made a decision never to use the formula again, but somehow his alter ego, Buddy Love, found out. And so there's this battle between alter ego, Buddy Love, and Sherman Clump, where Buddy Love literally is working with every trick and skill and scheme he has to totally eliminate Sherman Clump. And he almost succeeded until the victory was ultimately won by Sherman Clump. Now, we may not call our alter ego Buddy Love, but we do have a, what the Bible refers to as a dual nature. We have two separate capacities existing in one person. We have what the Bible calls the new man in Christ. And the scripture also describes in Romans chapter 7, a second kind of man, the old man, who is constantly battling with the new man to sit on the throne to control our thought life and our actions. And what I want to tell you today as we look into the word of God is when the old man, when the Adamic fallen sin nature is in control. It's no longer him. It's no longer Jesus. It's you and it's me. I want to share a portion of scripture with you from Ephesians chapter 4 verses 22 through 24 regarding these two conflicting natures which causes us to, to, to as an early Christian, I really wrestled with why am I still desiring sin? Why am I still failing? Why can't I get my anger under control? Why did I swing instead of walk away? Well, the scripture says, Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus, he says, you were taught with regard to your former lifestyle to put off the old self, the Adamic self, the fallen nature, the sin nature, which is being corrupted by the deceitful desires, being, being lured and, and enticed, to be made new in your thought life, in, your in the attitude of your minds. And here's what we were taught, to put off the old self, but to put on the new self, the new man, the spirit man, created to be like God in true righteousness, and holiness. And so Paul says, we were created after we received Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Yes, all things became new, but that's a progressive tense. They are, they have been made new, but they are becoming new as I become more like Jesus. But I also have living in me. The enemy called my old nature. And so Paul describes these two capacities as, as garments, as attire, as clothing. And the clothing that he's talking about is not the external that we are wearing that we can see. He's talking about an attire uh, and a garment that is in the spirit realm. That is, that we can put on and put off. And so what he's saying is that in order for me to allow it to be Jesus and not me, I must put off a certain garment called the old nature in order to put on, to activate, to be controlled by the new man. I want you to know that you'll never know true peace until it's him and not you. I want you to understand that the boldness that you and I desire 
to have, to stand before an accusing world, to stand before a rejecting world, to have a faith that is unshakable in the midst of all that we are surrounded by and coming up against, it has to be him. It has to be him. John said it like this, I must decrease in order for him to increase, increase. There's authority in the increase. There is greater works than these in the increase. There is they that are for us are more than they are against us in the increase. I can see with the eyes of faith when he is increasing and I am decreasing. I can speak to my difficulties no matter what they are. And I can say to a mountain that seems impenetrable, seems inconquerable, seems impossible to go around, I can speak to the mountain by faith in the decrease, in his increase. And the Bible says, my mountain will move. I want you to know that the reason some of our mountains aren't moving is because until it's him, It's you. Devil ain't afraid of you. You can't, even with the, you get some dynamite, ain't no mountain moving in a way that it will get you to the things that God has already planned. In the book of Genesis, the life of Jacob is a perfect type of the progressive sanctification process in the life of a believer. What I mean by sanctification is the set-apart life, the, set, the hagias life, the life that, that, that is set apart from sin. We, the Bible says, uh, therefore being justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, I am writing to the saints of God, past tense. When I got saved, I was set apart from sin, past tense, already done, aorist tense, never to be repeated again. You're already sanctified. But in that same book of Romans, he says, we must put to death, mortify the deeds of faith. We must crucify the deeds of faith. So every day, even though I already in Jesus positionally have been sanctified, set apart from sin, I must forsake sin every day in the present. Sanctification is progressive. I had to learn that. In order for it to be him and not me, I have to learn how to say no. The Bible says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh unto the Lord and he'll draw nigh unto you. Make no provision for the So there's a, there's a progressive part of being saved. And then there's a future tense. I've already been set apart. Hegeos, I am the, I'm the saint of God. Always in the plural tense. So Catholics don't have to vote on you. It's already, it's, we are the saints of God. We are dying to sin presently, but one day, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 17, says we will be removed from the very presence of sin when we are glorified. And so, Joseph's life, or Jacob's life, represents that, fourth, four, that, that process, pre past, present, and future. I'm going to kind of zero in on the life of Jacob, but before we can talk about Jacob, we need to understand the four phases of the transformational life in Christ. Four phases of transformation in Christ. Now, notice in Romans chapter 12, verses 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that we what? Come on, church. I know you were up late last night. Present your bodies as if that you made what? Holy and simple. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. All right, that's the big fish. And then the next verse says, but be not what? Transformed, but be not conformed, but be ye what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. The interesting thing, he didn't say be ye changed. Change is temporal. But transformation, metamorphosis is permanent 
Change can be from the outside in. Transformation is from the inside out. It's permanent. And so he says, be ye metamorphosized like that caterpillar becomes the butterfly from one form of a species to another. We want to become, we want to be transformed, metamorphosized, so that we no longer are walking in the strength of our flesh, but in obedience to the Holy Spirit. And so there are four phases. Aren't you glad that you're going to learn about this today? Okay, phase one of being changed from the transformed, metamorphosized from the inside out to the front. First stage is God in us, God in us. It starts with God in us. The Bible says, there, he says, you, you, we, we have not been saved by works of righteousness, which we have done. Titus chapter 3, verse 6. But by his mercy, we have been saved by the washing and the renewing and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes us alive. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, you are the temple of God and the Spirit lives in you. And so the first phase of it being him and not us, is God in us. God in us in the personal Holy Spirit. Let me read a passage of Scripture. Now, you want to write this down. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. We're getting there. For God is at work within you. Say he's working in me. Helping you to want to obey him. So not only is God in me, in the person of the Holy Spirit, because I am the temple of God and the Spirit is dwelling in me, but he's living in me and giving me the desire to want to please him. So it says, helping you to want to obey and helping you to do what he wants. So not only is he living in me and giving me the desire to obey, but he's also equipped me, giving you the capacity to do it. But, so phase one is God in me. God in me, the Holy Spirit living in me. But there's a second phase. In verse 12, he says, in Philippians chapter 2, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, he says, work out your own soul salvation in fear and trembling. So phase two is that God who is working in you, is now working out of you what he already worked in you. He says, work out your own soul salvation. You can't work out what's not already worked in. He said, just like when I was there, you obeyed. Now, here's the command. Work out what God has already worked in. The desire to obey him and the ability to obey what he requires because the Holy Spirit is living in us. Phase two. First, phase one, God in you. Phase two, you working out your own soul. Here's the third, here's the third phase. God is at work in you. The Holy Spirit is living in you. And now I'm yielding to the Holy Spirit to work out what God has already worked in. And here's the promise, that God, what he started in us and is working through us, he will complete it. Final phase. He says, being confident, verse 6 of chapter 1, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in us, in us will what? Complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So God is working in me and through me, and he will complete it. And then the ultimate goal of the work that God is doing so that it will be him and not us, Romans chapter 8 says that we will be conformed. He who he predestinated and foreknew, he has done that. He has worked in us and through us to complete it so that we will look like Jesus. So it will no longer be us. The world hasn't rejected Jesus. The world has rejected the representatives of Christ because they're not seeing the Christ working in us, through us as we're under construction to be brought to completion. The Bible said if the, if the world would see the light in us, it would cause them to notice the good works. And as they are seeing the good works in us, they will want to know a reason of the hope that is within us. And as we are telling them about the hope, the Bible says that they will be caused to give glory not to us, 
but to him. We're all on some, we're in some point on the road going to heaven, on this road of continuum where he who began a good work, it's a good work, church. He ain't got a lot to work with, Paul says, but for the grace of God. Oh, y'all, some of us think that we were worthy. No, 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 no. But we were wretched and sinners undone. It's called grace. God's unmerited, undeserved favor. Somebody ought to praise him that he looked beyond your sin and looked beyond my fault. He saw my need and he decided way back in eternity past, I'm going to do something for this boy called Benson. I'm going to do something about his circumstance. I'm going to do for him what he can't do for himself because he was born in sin, shaped in iniquity, dead in trespasses, but the grace of God. Oh, if we can understand the grace of God. Grace doesn't give us permission to sin. Paul said, make a noise to may it never be. We weren't saved from sin to continue living in it. God forbid. That's what make a noise to mean. God forbid. Amen. Amen. And so the four phases, we need to understand that. In order for it to be him, I need to understand that God is working on me. But for that work to occur, we need to get out the way in order that the truth, the way in the life, can live his life through us. Now, we also need to recognize and acknowledge when it's you and when it's him. The reason why we need to recognize that is because religion looks so much like righteousness Jesus said to the Pharisees who fasted, who tithed, who lived to the best of their knowledge by the law, who wore certain kinds of clothes, who worshiped on on the Sabbath as long as it didn't involve their livestock or threaten their business. (laughs) Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, he said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the religious you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we need to begin, the longer we're saved, the more comfortable and lazy we get in our faith. That's why God will shake us up. That's why God will has to make us uncomfortable because we put this thing on cruise control. And how many of us, when we do stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not for condemnation, but for accommodation, as was said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, How many of you and me, including myself, will have nothing to lay at the feet of Christ because we weren't concerned about souls? And so let's be clear on when it's us and when it's him. Because we can do right things for wrong reasons. Are you with me? Stay with me. Now, all right, so recognize so let me, let me give you some of the backstory of Jacob. As, although we are a Bible knowledge, knowledgeable church. By the time we come to chapter 32, Jacob has been running from his brother Esau for, tw- for 20 years. He has good reason to be afraid <laughs> because 20 years earlier, he stole his brother's birthright by deceiving his father, Isaac, with the help of his mother, Rebekah. And so he's running for his life because Esau said, when I see that dude, when my daddy dies, he's cooked. He gone. You know how those, they flash these signs on the Facebook? <laughs> I can imagine when they have Esau saw Jacob. He even put his, without, I don't know what sign to flash. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so it, it, it nauseates me when I see pastors flashing signs. That's, that's disgusting. You need to put the cross. If you want to flash a sign, put the cross out there. Jesus more loyal to fraternities and sororities than we are to Jesus, 
We wouldn't miss, we wouldn't miss an outing. And let me run on. <clears throat> so after 20 years of running, God appears to Jacob and says, go back. I want you to deal with your past. I want you to deal with the Esau in your life. There's somebody that you have been running from. There's some experience that you've been trying to avoid. There's some, there, there, there's some, there's some experiences in your past that continue to affect your current relationship. Jacob, you haven't changed in 20 years until you deal with Esau. It will be you and not me. Who's your Esau? Who's that experience? What is that experience that has hurt you that continues to impact the way you look at men, the way you look at women, the way you see yourself? So the Lord says, go back. And so in verse 22, we read, and he arose that night and took two of his wives. Now, he didn't mean to have two wives. He, he, this, was, this was really messed up. You have a story of, uh, of Leban, uh, the, the, the father of Leah and, and, and Rachel. I think I got Rebecca. I think it's Rachel. And uh, Jacob worked seven years to win the hand of Rachel. And uh, they, they must have really tied one on for the wedding, the bridal party. And he went on to bed to celebrate consummating uh, uh, the marriage. And he woke up the next day, and it was Leah. And what had happened was <laughs> the father tricked him. And he said, we are, where we live, we do stuff like this. <laughs> the, the oldest daughter has to be married before the young. So he ends up having, to, he marries Leah, but he really wants to marry uh, Rachel. So now he's being told by the Lord after 20 years, go back. And so he arose, and he starts to return. And the Bible says, after he sends his two wives away and his children, they go in three separate directions. He remains, and he's alone. And then the scripture says that a man, verse 24, that Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the day was breaking. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. He kept on wrestling with the man. And he said, let me go, for the day has broken. The day is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said to Jacob, and he said, my name, my name is Jacob. Now, the question for me as I'm going through this, because this man that he's wrestling with, Jacob, sometimes you are fighting with the Lord, and you don't even know it's the Lord. You thought it was your husband. You thought it was your coworkers. You thought it was that bank account, that check that bounced, that really, no, 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 no. He's wrestling with a man, and he doesn't know that it's the angel of God. But the angel of God, who's none other than the pre-incarnate Christ, who would have what was called the theophanies, every now and then in the Old Testament, Jesus would take on physical form temporarily before he came in the New Testament as a baby, and he appeared at different times. And so he's wrestling, and so the angel of God, who is Jesus in the Old Testament, asked Jacob, what is your name? Now, because he is the angel of God, he himself is, a, is the second member of the Trinity. He's God. So as God... He is omniscient. So if the Lord ever asks you your name, it's not because he doesn't know. It's kind of like Psalm 139 where David says, search me and tell, try me. God, <laughs> this wasn't for God's benefit. And so this was one of those come to Jesus moments. He says, what is your name? Who are you? The, 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 the running man, 20 years, fleeing from Esau, I want you to take a moment now. This ain't no selfie, but I want you to look and I want you to examine because in order for it to be him and not you, you need to acknowledge and accept 
who you really are to distinguish between when it's him and when it's you. What is your name? I know your parents gave you a name. And I don't know why they chose your name. And we'll talk a little bit about names in the Old Testament. But all of us, I believe, have a name in heaven. God gave Daniel the name, man of high esteem. If God were to give you a name, what would that name be? And as we're going to see, a name was given based on a characteristic or lifestyle your parents anticipated that you would live, or it was based on circumstances that surrounded your birth. So names in the Old Testament were chosen and usually given by the father. When a mother gave a, a child a name, it usually was because the dad then went ghost or the dad was dead. And so we see names in the Old Testament uh, 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 represented uh, specific characteristics. Remember Rachel, the mother of, uh, of Joseph? The Bible says she had a second child for Isaac. And during childbirth, a woman can die. This woman died. And she named her son before she died Benoni, which means son of suffering. So the name meant, I want you to remember when I'm dead and when I'm gone that when I gave birth to you, I gave birth to you in suffering. But then Isaac came behind her and he changed the name from Benoni son of suffering, to Benjamin, my favorite. That's the name Benjamin means my favorite. So a name represented characteristics or circumstances. Uh, uh, when we name our kids, what we do now is like, <laughs> what's the most popular name? What is, we, we don't necessarily put any consequence to it, but they did. Remember the story of the daughter-in-law of the high priest, Eli. He had two sons, the Bible called whose name were Hophni and Phinehas, and God called them worthless. They were unsaved, but they were priests in the church. On the day that the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines, Eli's daughter-in-law went into labor. And as she's having the labor, the, the, the midwife says that you're going to be okay, but she actually dies. But before she dies, she names her son Ichabod. Don't name your son Ichabod. <laughs> it means the glory of the Lord has departed. And so there's significance in name. The name Jacob <laughs> was given to Jacob because he had a twin brother named, what's his twin brother name? Esau. And so as Esau, who was the firstborn, was coming out, Jacob grabbed his heel. <laughs> And so the name Jacob means heel catcher, supplanter, that is, someone who by trickery and treachery usurps authority over another by, by any means necessary. The word Jacob means deceiver, scammer, flimflammer, <laughs> opportunist. And for, the, for, for his entire life, he lived a life that reflected the meaning of his name. He was a trickster. He was a flimflammer. He was a supplanter. Stay with me. The name Jacob represents the old life, the Adamic life, the fallen life. And so Jacob lived that life. And so the angel says, the angel says, what is your name? Do you recognize that you are the Jacob that your parents named you as, and that's, and that's the lifestyle you live. Now, what prevents the Lord from controlling us, our lives? Now, notice the scripture says that the angel and Jacob wrestled, and the angel could not prevail. You talking about carnal? You talking about, you talking about a, a life that is entrenched with sin? The Bible says that the angel of the Lord, God, could, God himself could not prevail. Now, how in the world 
can God break out even in a fight with us? How in the world could God, God not only, not only is omniscient, he knows our name, or, or, uh, he, not only does he know our name, but he's omnipotent. So how can the Lord not prevail over some little scrawny dude who's a deceiver, scammer, and he knows all that about? Well, I want you to know there's one battle that the Lord will not voluntarily win, that he will take a loss. He will take a, 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 a draw even. And that is the battle against our will. He will not violate your choices. You can choose to curse God or bless God. That is the distinguishing characteristic between us and Fido. We can say no to God. And so when the scripture says that the Lord was unable to prevail, he was unable to change, to break Jacob's will. And so God, the reason why some of us, we aren't changing is not, well, I've been, when is God going to make me stop? Why did he make it available? God's saying, you got to choose. <laughs> you got to choose. And so the reason why God is not prevailing in our life is because we haven't chosen to allow him to have his way in that area of our life. We haven't chosen to forgive somebody. We haven't chosen to not remember what they did. We haven't chosen to, to close our mouths instead of saying those things that don't honor God. We haven't chosen that we're going to totally surrender. We haven't chosen that if God is for me, I can, who can effectively stand against me? I must choose to walk in that. Well, why isn't it happening? Because you haven't chosen. Well, God is God, but you have the, the ability to choose. That's one battle that God will let you win. I, I, ultimately, you lose because now he says, I chasten those who I love. And that may mean sickness. That may mean weakness. That may even mean death. Now, you must also remember a third thing. Remember the length of time of your life experiences doesn't guarantee that you become more like him. Remember I told you it was 20 years? You can be in church under the same word, the same preaching, singing in the choir, and never stop being Jacob. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, by now, you shouldn't be on milk. You shouldn't be on Gerber's. You shouldn't be in the playpen. Get out of those diapers. By now, you've been saved at least five years. This dude's been, he's had an encounter with God 20 years earlier. And he's still Jacob. He's still a swindler. He's still a scammer. And guess what he does to let us know that he hasn't changed? The first time you read about Jacob praying is 20 years after he prayed. When he was fleeing from his brother and he met the Lord in Penal, or in Bethel, he prayed, Lord, if you spare me. God was nothing more than a good luck charm to him. Some of us, God ain't nothing but a good luck charm. God, just be ready if I need you. God, you know how the spare tire is. We, leave the, we ain't thinking about no spare tire until we get a flat tire and hope that it's got air in it. And it turns out that it, it's not done, it hasn't been inflated by faith, and so the tire doesn't work. So he prays for the first time. Why is it that we only pray when we get in trouble? We, well, I ain't even praying because I ain't going to be no hypocrite. I ain't going to pray to you, fool. You better pray. <laughs> it's better to pray 20 years late than to pray not to pray at all. And then the second thing that lets me know he hadn't changed, the Bible says that he talked to his servants. He had three separate groups. And he said, just in case my brother want to put a hurt on me, I want to, what he wanted to do is scam his brother. He said, offer him First, offer him this, then offer him that. He ain't saying no more. God, God told him to go back. God said it was going to be okay, but Jacob is still scheming. Too many Christians are schemers, hustlers. Well, how do you, you say that's a horrible thing? How do you handle problems? What do you do? Well, I, I came up one time and I didn't see Jesus. I wasn't going down for the second time, so I had to do what I had to do. I actually had somebody say that. Well, if somebody doesn't help me, I'm just going to have to resort. I said, bro, I'll meet you in jail. 
You're going to make an excuse. And so how do you, now that you've been saved, respond biblically to the stresses in your life? Are you still trying to manipulate and, and, and pull the wool over folks' eyes? I listen to the brothers, and when they talk to the sisters, your rap is still the same as it was when you were Jacob. When are you going to become Israel? When, when are you going to make this shift? When is it going to be him and not you? You know what happens when it's you. It gets you what you got. And here's the horrible part. Women, you, you're not responding unless he sounds like Jacob. If he sounds like, eh, too much church in that dude. I ain't trying to be around nobody that, that spiritual. Man, if I wanted to go to church, I, I just go to church. I don't even go, I can watch church on, but man, this dude come around talking about read the Bible, let's pray. I want a Christian like Samson. <laughs> he was a party animal. You want to know where the saints are? They're out in the middle of the floor. Copping numbers in Jesus' name. Then when we want to leave the scene of the crime, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. So the, the length of time in the church, in the word, doesn't mean that you've grown. Satan still taking your lunch money, still pushing you up in the corner. Give it up. Give up what? Give up your joy. I know you were happy when you stepped out the door, but I'm going to slap you around when you get to work. I'm going to get you acting like you ain't saved again. Give it up, and you just give it up. You lost it. 20 years, 30 years. You've gotten gray and old, but you haven't grown. Jacob was 20 years in this thing. And he hadn't changed. Now, the angel is, in this case, represents the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Corinthians, first, first Galatians, in Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, 17, he says, this I say, make a choice. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in a new man, in the control of the Holy Spirit, so that you will not, but fulfill, so that you won't be a schemer, so that you won't be using God like a credit card. So walk in the Spirit so that you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, because the flesh and the Spirit wrestle. That's how we know we're saved. If, if you weren't saved, there wouldn't be no wrestling. There wouldn't be no struggling. There wouldn't be any guilt. Just think about it. If you could do whatever you did and still be saved and not have any conscience about it, Lord have mercy. The danger is that sometimes we think we're saved and we get to a place where what is wrong doesn't bother us. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, 2 uh, Peter, beware that judgment starts at the household of God. Household of God. 2 Peter chapter 3, around verse 9. Be sure that you belong to the household of God. Let, let, me, let me finish with this. You can stop making it about you and about him and make it about him. You get up in the morning and say, mirror, mirror on the walls. Who's the fairest of them all? If your flesh say, you then it ain't him. As you're getting yourself tightened up and you're getting it just right, putting that on so you can, yeah, get a couple heads turned. And, uh, mirror, mirror on the wall is Christ. Here's the first thing. Here, here's how it can be about him. You need to learn how to walk with a limp. Now, this is how I know that the angel of God had the power to completely stop the wrestling. Because when, when he got ready, he just touched, touched the joint in Jacob's hip. And he was, he was, the Bible said that the socket separated. And from that day, all he didn't, he didn't snap it. He didn't drag it. He didn't get his, he just touched it. Sometime when I get up in the morning, 
Okay, Lord, you touched me again. And I'm trying, I'm trying to stand up like it ain't working. It ain't hurt. Oh, yes, it is. I don't get straight up out the bed no more. I have to stand up and stretch out. I, first of all, I stretch out before I get out of the bed. Lest my wife be having to pick the brother up. In the name of Jesus. This brother Tim talking about, you got a lot of issues, Pastor. I sure do. Arthur ain't, ain't no discretion. So you got to learn how to walk with a limp. What does it mean to walk with a limp? Here's what messes us up. The Bible says God is a God of all comfort who comforts us so we can do what? Comfort one another. Comfort them in what way? Comfort them to know that what you went through, they can make it because God took you through it. We get saved and we're we not humble, we're not transparent. Oh, I got a great wife, I got a great man. It wasn't always great. Your children didn't always and still don't always do what they're supposed to do. That's why when stuff is going on in my family, I don't mind. Pray for my family. I believe in transparency. I believe in humility. God says, I give grace to the humble. So walking with a limp means that you need to humble yourself. You need to be transparent. You need to be like Paul said. Paul said, what? For the grace of God, so go I. I'm a chief among sinners. This dude wrote most of the New Testament. He was a theologian. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He could speak multi-languages. He was a theological scholar, and he yet said, everything that I've ever earned kept me from God, and it adds up to dung. It's nothing but something to be flushed down the toilet. You need to learn how to walk with a limp if you want it to be him. Be leery of people who act like they got it all together. Don't tell them all your business. If they don't bleed, don't you bleed in front of them. The Bible says we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our weaknesses, but Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God. He was tempted. Don't weary me with folk that can't be tempted. Here's the second thing. Learn how to walk with a limp, but also learn to wait on the Lord. You don't have to manipulate. You don't have to scheme. You don't have to get a hookup. The angel said, let me go. (laughs) The day is I got other stuff to do. And Jacob said, until you bless me, I'm going to wait. <laughs> I'm holding on. Sometimes you need to pray a little longer. Sometimes you need to get up a little early to pray. Sometimes you need to push your plate away. Sometimes you just need to, I'm not lowering my standards. I know I'm lonely. I know I want a husband. I know I want a wife. I want this. I want that. But I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. For they that what wait upon the Lord, their strength will what be renewed. You will mount up. Learn how to wait. He said, "Until you bless me, I ain't letting you go." Have you gotten that desperate? When's the last time you cried out to God like that? We need to cry out to God about our property in that way. Lord, you, we need you to bless us. We need to cry out to God about our marriages, about our children. Lord, until you bless my children, until you bless my marriage, until you bless my health, I am not going to let you go. Learn how to let God change you from the inside out. He said, what's your name? My name is Swindler, (laughs) Scammer. I'm a crook. Well, I say, your name will no longer be Jacob. I'm changing your name to Israel. The name Israel means let God prevail. I'm about to do something. I'm about to change your character, Jacob. So when you read about Jacob going forward, the Bible says Jacob was sick, but Israel set up. The Israel is the spirit man. The new man. God will change you. He'll take a pimp and make him a priest. Somebody say amen.
He'll take trash and make it into treasure. He'll take a hard heart and make it into a heart of flesh. Make a terrible husband a great husband, a terrible wife a great wife. He'll put love in the place of hatred. He'll give you a forgiving heart. Here's the last thing. Learn to worship God for allowing you just to be in his presence. When you read this in 30, verse 30, 32, Jacob said, I'm going to change the name of this place. I'm going to call it Penile. The word Penile means face to face. He said, I have seen God face to face, and I'm, I live to tell you about it. So Penile became a place of worship because Jacob understood, Israel understood that God doesn't have to allow us to even enter into his presence. We ought to worship him just because he's God. The fact that we can come boldly unto the throne of grace and be fully confident that I can stand in the presence of God like Moses stood. Moses had to cover his face. He couldn't, he, when, he, when he spent one-on-one time with God, but the Bible said, unlike Moses, we all can. We can all stand with We can all stand face to face and enter in. If you understood who God is, what God is like, and what we are in contrast to what God is like, we'd be like Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, it's by your mercies we're not consumed. That if it was on the basis of our merit, all of us would be dead. But because God is faithful and his mercies are new every day. Anybody need some mercy? Aren't you glad that they're new every day? Aren't you glad that he never runs out of his mercy? Aren't you glad as you stand in the mirror of the word of God and you see the expectations of God that we would look like Jesus that as you surrender it becomes him and not me the world needs to see Jesus they don't need to see us in the sense that they need to see Jesus living through us The world needs to see humility expressed through transparency. I was once lost, but now, but now. You don't have to remain Jacob. God wants to change your name today. Let's pray.